0: Namurta sab goa to arahatoa sama sambudha saan. Namurta sab goa to arahatoa Budhang tamang sanghang namat Earlier today, I found myself uh, contemplating the predicament of um, disappointment that so many so many of us keep experiencing. I don't know if it was anything to do with what I read in the news about uh, dissatisfaction with the election just north of the border, which... Um, I don't know what, what went on, whether there was any corruption or whatever. It seems to me unlikely. I would have thought that um, in this human family of ours, that, that was pretty close to as good as you can get in terms of elections. And it's not, uh, not many places on the planet is so much care and attention go into being fair about these things. But whatever went on, um, it seems that uh, people were still disappointed. And it does seem to be the, as I was saying, the predicament that people constantly, us included, feel let down, betrayed, disappointed. Even though the reality that we live in is that it's never been the case in all human history that there's been such affluence. I'm sure it's the case there's never been so much food around and and so much good water and so much uh, medical treatment available and and yet still we feel disappointed, disappointed with our job, disappointed with our health, disappointed with our internet connection <laughs> disappointed with our life partner and so And if you do a little study, of course, you realize that it's always been this way, that human beings, this is part of our human experience, is being disappointed. And what do we do about it? Well, one of the smart things we can do about it is consider how other people have dealt with it, and probably that is part of the motivation, well, most of us are Buddhists, because the Buddha had a similar experience and did do something about it. He looked into it. Before he was the Buddha yeah. at the age of twenty nine he too fell into a state of serious disappointment. you know when it actually clicked that he was going to get old and use lose his youthful vitality, he was disappointed he's going to get sick yeah. ugly yeah, that's what happened to everybody that was disappointing and then the mega disappointment of course was you're going to lose everything you're going to die I mean, he, Lose your identity, everything that you hold dear, it's all going to go. And what do you do about it? Well, what the Buddha did about it was he studied it until he found the resolution, found the understanding that showed up the cause of the disappointment, which, as all of us would know, but probably tend to forget from time to time, is that we become disappointed when we depend upon things that are undependable. And if we're depending upon that which is dependable, then it's a different story, but we have a very strong tendency to depend upon that which is undependable. We, the essence of it is that happiness, which we all want, we equate with gratification of wanting when I get what I want, I'll be happy. That's the equation that is lodged in our minds. The Buddha's understanding, the Buddha's liberation, was based not on gratification of wanting, but on understanding the nature of wanting. So... As we contemplate the disappointment we experience in our own lives and we look around us and we shake our head in despair at the fact that there's all this disappointment around us when we've never actually had it so good. I was talking to somebody earlier today about the Milgram experiences, which Stanley Milgram, that seriously unethical American fellow doing experiments, which probably many of you would know about, which Absolutely no way in the developed world would you get away with these days. You informed consent is a concept that didn't really exist that many years ago. Uh, now it's it's normal, and you wouldn't dare do the things that were being done even just a few years ago. Uh, the convenience and and good fortune that we are all surrounded by is not enough to give us happiness and the Buddha saw this and so he highlighted that in fact our pursuit of happiness is something we have to study we've got to really look into it if we're depending upon that which is undependable it will lead us to disappointment but that's not an obligation no, we can do something about it it's understandable that we are in this predicament, and in this day and age also I don't just mean you know over the last few thousand years I mean even today with all our affluence because partly you look at it and you see the intensity the powerful stimulus the sense objects so so what do you use scriptural language beguiling huh? really easy to get full the 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 the, the quality of resolution on the retina screen on my iPad is extraordinary. I just like to look at these pretty pictures. <laughs> the resolution, the quality is so gorgeous and and the sound that now can be produced by technology and and the access to stunning, amazing ideas and information that on the sensual realm, similarly, we've never had it so intense. So it's perfectly understandable perfectly understandable that we get fooled by the momentum of this movement of mind that we call wanting and if we haven't had a good enough education a wise enough education and there is a dearth of wisdom it's another cause for our getting fooled Uh, the intensity of of the sense objects, and also the dearth of wisdom. If we haven't been exposed to to real wisdom, then, again, it's perfectly understandable that we feel fooled by, as I said, this this movement of mind that we call wanting, and we feel drawn by it. We, we believe in the story, you know, the story that the apparent nature of wanting is that when this is gratified, you'll be happy. And it takes more than that, much more than that, much more than gratification of desire to be happiness. And so, this was the wisdom of the Buddha's insight, and the encouragement in the Buddha's teaching is to study, is to study our pursuit of happiness, to use our minds, to use our intelligence, not be fooled by the way things appear to be. Mm. It's easy to be fooled. The senses constantly fool us. and But if we don't override that initial impression with a carefully considered investigation, then we continue to be fooled. In other words, we don't, we don't grow up. Like Children have the assumption, the uninspected, unstudied assumption, that when they get what they want, when they get their own way, they'll be happy. And parents just have to put up with it. You know, well, that's the way children are. And then eventually, children become teenagers, which is pretty impossible, but once they leave home and they find they can get what they want, they realise it doesn't bring them happiness. It's not possible for everybody on the planet to be getting what they want all the time. It simply doesn't work, and so they start to grow up, hopefully. And so it is the nature of children, the nature of adolescence, I can remember when as a teenager myself sitting at the table somebody passes me some food and I don't want it busy just indulging in my mood I remember when my father wouldn't lend me the car once boy did I ever make a meal out of that I didn't get what I wanted and so I'm going to sulk and that's the consciousness of a uninformed adolescent that doesn't realise the consequence of indulging in the mood that comes when you don't get what you want totally unaware of how much work somebody had to do to get the food totally out of tune with how much work somebody had to do to prepare the food and put it on the table and just indulging in a mood and thinking that somehow it's going to make us happy it's uninspected it looks that way, I mean it does look that way when I don't get what I want on a certain level, it looks like it's not going to make me happy. I'm not going to be happy until I get what I want. But the Buddha saw that as a con. Mara, the deceiver, the great deceiver, has this con, which in today's legal language would be called frivolous, vexatious and abusive process. It's a, it's a story that leads you down a path which will not produce what you're looking for. And to get out of that, we I mean, need more than a smart lawyer, we need wisdom. So the Buddha encourages us to really study, what do we do to get happy? Is it wise? Is it, is it sensible? Or is it what everybody else is doing? And so it does, it takes a particular unique kind of effort to step aside, to step out of the flow of the collective story. That there is around, and say so you'll be happy when you get what you want. Now, the Buddha pointed out was, it's not when you get what you want, but it's when you understand the reality of this movement of mind, which we call wanting. When you really see it, what it actually is, and don't become, don't believe in it, don't believe in the way it appears. And the process of that, and studying that, is, is allowing oneself to become disillusioned. A good friend of the monastery was explaining to me how they, since a a major medical intervention they had to go through recently in which they could have died, uh, definitely could have died, they haven't been able to get excited about the things that used to excite them. And it was uh, very unsettling because this person had a very strong... Uh, devoted meditation practice, keeping precepts, committed to Dhamma. And since this life-threatening experience, they have this kind of... Is it depression or what is it? Well, it might be depression. There might be a chemical thing going on there, producing depression. But it might also be what the Buddha called sangwega, which is a a wholesome emotion, uh, a mind state, which conduces to the emerging of wisdom. That's where you get disillusioned. The stories that we used to believe in, it's just not convincing anymore. You know, boring. You know, the the games that we used to play, promoting our reputation and trying to make people like us. When you know you're going to die, a lot of it becomes rather silly. Probably part of the reason why... The Buddha was not particularly motivated after his enlightenment to teach anybody because he, he realised how thick everybody was. There's no point in trying to point out the cause and effect relationship of suffering because everybody's doing this stuff that makes themselves suffer and then they're busy blaming the world for it. And anybody that stupid, well, there's no point in trying to point it out to them. But fortunately, the power of Dhamma gave rise to such an intensity of compassion that the Buddha couldn't say no anyway when he came across suffering. and did everything he could to help relieve it. So this is what we're invited to do from the perspective of somebody who experienced disappointment, just as we experienced disappointment, investigate it, study it, and look at what do we do in the pursuit of happiness, and is it working? Until we experience disillusionment, until we start to just feel, I can't be bothered. And not misjudge that, not misperceive that experience of disillusionment. Just because somebody else calls it depression doesn't mean to say it is depression. So we study and then we practice. How do we practice according with these principles of the path? Oh, one one of the most powerful... Forces one of the most powerful vectors for liberation, which the Buddha recommended, is um, patient endurance. Again, not something that that is promoted in uh, in the world. That's the gratification of wanting. The, the the shorter we can make the process, the better, and the products will sell very fast. And but that doesn't accord with nature as the wise beings see it i was earlier today reflecting on this when i was down in the lake I went down to the lake and and i spent a little bit of time in the lakeside Saikuti there and and it is such a glorious little space there just a small little hut right on the edge of the lake with a great big window opening up on the lake and and uh, the view there and the building is super insulated and there's one of those really neat little heaters that doesn't produce moisture or gas into the room and there's hardly anything in there, it's just a nice little shrine and a couple of chairs and I think how fortunate, what a beautiful place to come and contemplate and be quiet. And... But it wasn't always like that. It's been there now for a couple of years and for the first 18 months... I had to really make myself go into that space because it took a lot of work to produce it. I spent hours down there before we built the boardwalk and before we got the cooties, hours walking around the place trying to get the symmetry, trying to get the arrangement, trying to align things up and everything about the design down there is all based around that oak tree on the north side of the lake. And I wanted to have a little shrine with a little image sitting underneath the oak tree and a and a great big window, and a cootie, and getting the right position, and discussing it, and, and then all the planning permission issues, and all the things that went into building these, and finally they were done, and I remember walking at that cootie, and very soon after I started using it, there was this extraordinary, unpleasant, foul smell there, and I can't believe, what is this? Is it the new carpet? Is it the lake? Is it, where's this stink coming from? And Unfortunately, my olfactory consciousness is pretty refined and, and uh, I I'd get upset when somebody comes into my hut wearing, you know, wash their clothes with the wrong washing powder. I just don't want to even see them. I can't wait till they leave. And i got a big nose and it makes my life very difficult. And so the stink and the cootie, <laughs> it was really, really disappointing. After all that work, this beautiful space, this foul stink, so, what do you do about it? Well, I didn't want to go there, but, you know, so we'll be patient. It's probably a dead animal in the rafters. You know, it'll probably start leaking through the ceiling or something. And so, you know, it'll go eventually, it'll dry up. and Well, it didn't. Month after month after month, nothing leaked through the ceiling. You know, so we repainted it, changed the carpet. <laughs> you know, the stink is still there. Wash the curtains, the stink is still there. And well, maybe it's a dead fox underneath or something, and whatever. Just be patient. Be patient. Yeah. Be patient means bearing with that which is difficult to bear. Choosing. Choosing to bear with that which is difficult to bear. The Buddha called it the ultimate furnace. It burns things up, it burns up the obstructions, it consumes, but it also purifies patient endurance is a profound force for transformation and and now it's gone, whatever that foul smell was, it's gone yeah, the hot summer dried up whatever it was that was rotting away in the proximity to that lovely little hut and now it is a delight to go into but at the time it was disgusting and I'd come back up to my cootie up here and my, my robes would be impregnated with this foul stink it reminded me of when I used to go and visit the morgue in Thailand for meditation purposes you get this stink of rotten flesh in your robes. it's difficult to get rid of but it's part of life don't turn away from it a lot of the suffering of life the disappointment of life we don't study it, we don't look into it we don't learn about the reality because we don't have the patience that it takes so in terms of practicing to give rise to the conditioning factors for wisdom, yeah, patience is, is profoundly important. Not from gritting your teeth in a willful kind of I've got to do this before because it's good for me, but because we've studied and we see well, that way is not working. That being fooled by that movement of mind that we call wanting and the gratification, that's infantile, that's adolescent. that's not born out of restraint and wise reflection so also one aspect of practice is paying attention to to those who have realised real happiness seeking out wise beings doing some research on the internet finding Dhamma talks that that speak to us of wisdom. Not just say things that please us and make us happy, but teachings that point to helping us let go of that which is getting in the way. Mm. Or seeking out people, if you can find them on the planet, like in the Mahamangala Sutta, uh, the most famous discourses of the Buddha are the very first two lines. Don't associate with those that are going to pull you down, but associate with those that are going to lift you up. Yeah. Those beings that, by their example, by their inspiration, will lift us up out of our habits of indulging and feeling sorry for ourselves because we don't get what we want losing touch with our power actually yeah, we, the Buddha wanted us to reflect on these things so as to see that we've got the power to lift ourselves up out of these habits we have that power we have that ability whether it's been quickened or not is another matter again the habit of as the Buddha discovered and talked about in his first discourse the habit of indulging and in sensual indulgence and the habit of indulging in sensual pain these two pursuits he said are a dead end but when you rise above it and as he did realise what he called the middle way which is the way of understanding the reality of the tendencies to indulge once he had realised that possibility then he was completely unshakably in touch with the power which is the inherent nature of the heart that power to see through the way things appear to be and cause all the, all the suffering that we experience, uh, the realization of wisdom. So, to study to the point where we get in touch with this, we realize, for instance, the, the ability we have to create the conditions that conduce with clarity of mind, peacefulness of heart, like harmony, a harmonious. Inner environment, freedom from conflict. We don't realize that harmony if we keep avoiding those things that throw us out of harmony. You know, denied resentment, denied fear, you know, all the stuff we'd rather not have to deal with. In our cultivation of wisdom, sooner or later we're going to have to receive all of it. Absolutely all of it needs to be brought into awareness recognized and let go of and then we approach harmony from the perspective of believing in Mara's story that the gratification of wanting is the solution, from that perspective we think that harmony comes from following our habits, from getting what we want, standing up for our rights and getting out of things, like if you live in a in a community-shared house or you live in a family or, in our case, living in the monastery. and Why do I always get put on the dishes? And you spend all your time looking at the chores, rotor. How can I get out of being on the dishes? How can I avoid doing my chores? You know, from one perspective, you think, well, that's going to make me happy. But from a reality perspective, you just get a reputation as a, a piker. At least that's what we call it in New Zealand. You know, somebody who's skiving off, not meeting their responsibilities, and nobody wants to have anything to do with you, and because we haven't inspected that inclination of mind that tells us, when you get what you want, when you get your own way, you'll be happy. You know from the Buddhist perspective, it's essential, we have to look into that, nobody else can tell us anything that's going to free us from that, we need to look into it for ourselves, and See for ourselves, and that takes that takes a certain amount of daring you know, there's, um, there needs to be a willingness it seems to me um, to dare to go to the edge of our tolerance level in my own years of practice of uh, Living with some some great teachers in Thailand, for which I am eternally indebted and very fortunate, and the opportunity years to practice there, and and then being here in Britain and and participating and leading monasteries and leading retreats, and it seems to me that the only ones who really progress in practice are those who are daring. This quality of daring is is utterly essential. But it's not something that you can get off the internet. It's not something you can get from a supermarket. Daring is a quality of heart, a quality of mind, which it's true, we may find, some, some of us might find we've got more than others, but it still be, and needs to be cultivated. And it can be cultivated. That's an important lesson to learn, that we, can, we need it and we can cultivate it. Some people might think, well, I just haven't got it. I'm not a very daring kind of guy. And yeah, Well, we can actually do something about it. It's like I'm not a very patient kind of person. So, well, I can be patient. Like there's pain in my knees. You know, so long as you're not damaging yourself physically, sometimes it's good just to be patient with it. Or a bad mood. You, know, you don't have to distract yourself from the bad mood. Get interested in it. You know, am I obliged to... Always be negative every time I open my mouth. Am I obliged to always say something critical? Is that? Is there a choice in that? Well, just by asking the question is acknowledging there already is a choice. We're not obliged to always speak negatively. We're not obliged to always sink into our moods. We do have a choice. We can, with a particular kind of effort raise the heart up Mm -hmm. inhibit the tendency to indulge and see the change take place so so if we don't have much patience we can cultivate patience, if we don't have much daring we can can cultivate daring and daring is essential if we're going to discover something new we have to dare to let go of the familiar in the right way, not because we're being heroes but because we realise something new is needed and so it's something we cultivate, like when you're with somebody who you think is completely beyond the pale and there's plenty of them around. We have them even in the monastery. They come here and treat the place like a holiday camp and expect to be waited on and behave rudely and ungratefully. And my impulse is just get rid of him. Hopeless case, throw him out. I can't tolerate this guy anymore. Well, can do that. But I could also tolerate it for a bit longer. So, well, I can't tolerate this person, but I'm going to. I'm going to tolerate them for 10 minutes. You know, right now, if I had my way, I'd throw them out the door right away. I'm not going to tolerate it. And we can make a habit of that. I remember when I stopped, stopped smoking, the thought of never being allowed to have a cigarette again was intolerable. I think I was, um, I don't know what, about 27 years old, I think. I can still remember the time when I managed to give up smoking. And I used this, this way of breaking the momentum. The thought of never having a cigarette again was intolerable. And so I said, well, I will tolerate it for 10 minutes. I won't smoke for 10 minutes. And it works. We develop, we increase our capacity for holding tension. Uh, Sometimes our addiction to happiness, artificial relative happiness, uh, similarly it can transfer into our addiction to harmony. We can't stand conflict, can't stand suffering. And if we can't develop and we're not willing to dare to extend our capacity for tolerating the intolerable, enduring the unendurable, bearing that which is difficult to bear, If we can't, we're not willing to extend that, then we don't learn. And part of this also, in the same way as we develop daring, also as a result of that we develop confidence. Not confidence born out of, aren't I great that I can get what I want when I want. That kind of confidence is not very helpful. It's got its its function when you're about nine years old but after that we need to start letting go of it and eventually developing, giving rise to the kind of confidence that comes from I don't have to get what I want when I want. We have confidence in the way of restraint, in the way of investigation, in the way of, of patience, in the way of interest. And, and with that comes also recognition of the capacity for other positive emotions, you know, like gratitude and generosity and these positive emotions uh, we put effort into cultivating them not again because just because it's a good feeling that comes with them that's natural, it's a good feeling but indulging that good feeling that's just more of our happiness addiction yeah. but rather we we make an effort to give rise to these wholesome emotions these positive emotions these supporting factors because we have the intuition, we have the sense that this is, this is the cultivation of wisdom, this is what gives rise to the factors for the appearance of wisdom. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.